This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So we've gone through this amazing wash cycle. We started in Elul where we were starting to look at our ways and, and then we moved our way to, um, you can open the door for these people just so they could come in. Yeah. Come on in guys. What are you doing? Ah, you can hear a sound bite. Just hang out by the door. Anyway, the, um, well, we're going with that water, bro. The, <laughs> Unless in an emergency, I think we better keep it here for for my speaking. Yeah, keep my voice lubricated. It's really just to keep my voice wet. Hi, welcome. Thanks. Um, I'm going to start again. We just finished. We just finished this wash cycle from Elul. It was a 40 days till till yesterday till Yom Kippur. 40 day wash cycle. We blew the shofar most of those days, and we and we were we've been slowly bringing ourselves closer and closer to. Recognition of our, you know, our, our stuff. And in as much as that stuff gets in the way of our connection to God. That's all. Right? A, a relationship's only as strong as its weakest link. And who's been the weaker link in this case? It's been us. Okay? Now I know some of you think God's the weaker link because he doesn't give you everything he wants. But that's probably because you look at God like a father. And he is like a father, but sorry, you've been looking at God like a grandfather. You know, I promise you, when my little grandkids come by, I will hand them candy every time. <laughs> I'm not doing that for my kids. I don't, I'm not taking my kids to the dentist every day, you know, like, here comes the grandkids. We've been treating, treating God like our grandfather, like he should somehow just give us whatever we want all the time. And in fact, parents are better at this job because they actually, they're thinking out what's good for you. And sometimes what's good for you is a, a bright red behind. Okay, and God gives you a bright red behind all the time. Okay, He does it different ways. He does it different ways. Like, for example, marriage. I mean, you can't get a bigger bright red behind than getting married. Yeah, you get married, your behind's gonna be bright and red. Yeah, it's gonna look like a, a, like a stop sign. Yeah, and not that your wife's or husband's ever gonna spank you, but you'll notice you get whooped all the time. And the, and it can be just a look that they give you or, or just a feeling in, in the, in the room, you know, but you're learning and you're learning and you're learning. And, and so God works through this. And this is why all you single people must get married as soon as possible because, because especially if you're over the age of, let's say 23 or something that you're, you're, pro- it's probably obsolete how much you're going to grow as a single person. So at this point, you must have that growth happen as a result of being a little too intimate with somebody called marriage and, and then that'll help you grow for the rest of your life, you know, very intensely. And that's how we grow. And that's it. And, and you'll learn, you'll learn that way, but you're not going to learn single. So now if you're totally unmarriable right now, so then get yourself marriable. Do what it takes to get yourself marriable. ASAP. Cause right now, if you're not marriable, it means you'd be a liability to marry. So get yourself to the point where it'd be that you're someone worth marrying. And if you feel you're there, so then, so then don't waste any time. You know, get, get with it. And I have a class online. Please feel free to watch. And many people watched it and have succeeded in getting married called the six ways of expediting finding your soulmate. Anyone here ever heard that class? Uh, yeah, you've heard that class. Okay. But you guys are still single. I don't think you're even dating. So, um, yeah. So anyway, but there, there's six ways to expedite finding your soulmate. Okay, that's not our class. We've been in this wash cycle, trying to get involved in what's between us and God 
And the answer is, we are between us and God. Our, we're the issue. And so we worked it through, and we finally got to Yom Kippur, where we take, where we took full responsibility for the jerks that we are. Hopefully, it broke you. Hopefully, it broke you. I understand that probably half you listening to this aren't broken. Um, probably most of you maintained your resolve, as people are stubborn as hell, and you know that's just the way we are. We, we, we. You know, once you've done something long enough, it becomes the you you. Once you've done something long enough, you create a story around it, and that becomes your your um, uh, justification, or should we call it instead, self-deception. Meaning you live in full self-deception all the time, and so do I. We're all big bluffers, and we're, we are the most in the way of everything that we do. Because once you've done something for a while, it bec- human beings are philosophical. We'll create a whole story around it. And everything will totally make sense. And crazy stuff makes sense. Like reminding me of a, uh, I, I saw a picture of two kids whose arms were, were burned and lacerated, reaching over the child services people who were carrying them into the van. And they're reaching over screaming mama as their mother was being put into a police car. Okay. That's you. That's you, meaning, meaning, not that's you, God forbid, you know, please God, no, no, no one's ha- ever had anything that bad. But whatever was going on in your home growing up has be, has been a story you've been telling yourself all these years. And the biggest dysfunction in the world makes total sense to a human being as long as they have their reasons. And we are very reasonable people. We are reason enabled, reasonable. Like we put a little check by the word reason. And we'll let, we'll just get, make up reasons for every kind of dysfunction out there. But if we followed the prescription of the beginning of Elul till this day, we have now shed our skin and we are ready now to actually have something real happen. And what's that real thing? What's the real thing that happens when you shed your skin? And the answer is connection. Now you're ready for connection. You are, you know, you've been beat blasted by the, by the machine and of uh, Judaism and, and you're ready for true connection, which is beautiful. And now that makes you like a newborn baby. And also, even if you're one of those people who maintained your resolve, meaning you kept your stories going and you're still stuck in all your stuff. Nevertheless, God has washed you clean. We're all clean right now. The biggest sin I have at this point since yesterday, I think I did something. I made two blessings yesterday. Uh, in the meaning I'd, I'd already made one. Yes, meaning last night when I was home, I ate something that was Adama, and about 20 minutes later, my wife served me something. I made a blessing again. And uh, although that may be okay in your own home, because back to Aaron, yeah. in your own home, you're allowed, you're, you never know what you might eat. So you can make new blessings on the same foods food types but um so maybe i didn't blow it okay i must have done something else wrong since then i don't know what else what i do wrong i don't know i think i procrastinated going to sleep a little too long last night that was one of the things i took on and i didn't even make it one day yeah it was to go to bed earlier but i felt a bit of rage in my body i was feeling rage you ever felt rage inside i was feeling rage it was my sugar levels just from having fasted all day and then like I don't know. I was imbalanced last night. When the food hit my system, it just didn't hit right. And, uh, and so I realized I need to chill before I go to sleep. So that's, see how I tell my story? That's my reasons for already blowing off my one thing I took on. I mean, I took on a couple things, but one of the big ones was get to sleep early.
Now, and here I am being reasonable. Okay? But but I, I did want to go to sleep feeling good. Now, where are we where are we holding? So here we are, washed off, brand new babies. But when you're a brand new baby, you don't want to just go out into the street. Where do you put a brand new baby? At least in Western civilization. Where? In a crib. In a crib. We're going to take this from a boy. In a crib. No, I'm brand new baby. And I was just born. Where do you put the brand new baby? Nice. You guys are amazing. No. That would be in Africa. In, in Western civilization, we put them in a nursery. Yeah, they're put in a nursery. You should know half the time I have some guy say, an incubator? Yeah, they, they think they put it in an incubator. So, anyway, you put it in the nursery. And halavai, um, we put it in our arms. That's where we should put the baby. And it should stay there. But we generally put babies in padded cells. And the and then when it screams out of utter, when it screams from utter isolation, everyone has determined that it must be hungry. Even though a baby can't ever be hungry, you realize a baby can, I mean, its body could be hungry, but that's only for like super irresponsible parents. And I've met them. I've met them. I've been to visit someone's house. No one had visited and I visited and saw something's wrong here. This baby's not eating because I saw the baby. But babies never get hungry. Babies get isolated, especially when you keep them in padded cells like cribs and bassinets and, and you know, Gucci strollers with shocks and stuff. Yeah. You know, think about it. The one muscle in a baby. What's the one muscle the baby has? It can't even hold its own head up. Like its most important organ. Like can't even hold it up. It doesn't have muscles. Where where does the baby have muscles? Oh. It's tongue. <laughs> tongue, right? For survival. And what's the other one? Yeah, it's got this Vulcan grip. You know why? Because you're supposed to have the baby with you. The baby's supposed to be always connected. It's not supposed to be. Just spent the last nine months totally connected. And now we're going to separate it. And you'll notice uh, just a, a point. I'll make it as quickly as I can. That Western people have relationships where they're close and far. Close and far. Close and far. And anthropologists believe it's because of our cribs and our strollers. Because until you scream, no one's going to come touch you. Yeah? And and the uh, and so you... But as soon as someone's touching you... Well, you were trained to disconnect and to always disengage. And so you'll shoot yourself in the foot to disengage from people. And then you'll, re- you'll scream to re-engage. And everything's just, I hate you. I, I can't live without you. I, I love you. I love you. I hate you. I hate you. I can't live without you. I can't live without you. I love you. I love you. So they actually check the cultures in the, the jungled cultures where, where babies, there are no nurseries. The baby's with you. As soon as it's born, it's just with you. And, you know, from the time it's born in the teepee, you know, it stays with you. The, uh, they checked if their relationships have that same accordion effect. And the answer is they don't have that accordion effect. So according to some anthropologists, the reason that we're so schizo when it comes to our relationships is because of the way we treat our babies when they're born. Anyway, the baby gets put in a very protective and beautiful environment. And what is that protective, beautiful environment for us as Jews? The sukkah. The sukkah is the nursery. Now, ideally, you'd walk right out of Yom Kippur and straight into the sukkah. And in fact, Kabbalistically, every day has its energy, except for these four days. The four days between um, Yom Kippur and Sukkot have no energy, they, they, meaning no uh, specific energy, meaning I know this is, a, what is this, a Thursday? 
Thursdays have an energy. It's one of the spheros, and it's in uh, each hour is a different combination of God's name. None of that this week. Today's called Yud. Tomorrow's called Vav. Sorry, tomorrow, today's called Yud. Tomorrow's called Hey. Shabbos is Vav, and Shabbos Sunday is Hey. What? Shabbos has more energy. No, it's well, it will be Shabbos. It's got Shabbos energy, but the hours of the day, all the Kabbalistic stuff that happens throughout a day, don't happen these days. We are in limbo till we step foot in that sukkah. Now, why God set it up that way? Well, one of the reasons is because you need the full moon for a holiday. Holidays happen on the full moon, except for the hidden one, the hidden holidays, Rosh Hashanah. So the hidden holiday doesn't have the full moon. Yom Kippur is because of the, you need those 10 days. But the, uh, but the real holidays happen on full moons. And, uh, and that's our, those are many different full moon holidays. Uh, one is, uh, Sukkot, obviously, is on a full moon, and Pesach's on a full moon. Shavuos is not on a full moon. Pesach's on a full moon. Uh, Purim's on a full moon, unless you live outside of it, uh, Jerusalem. Um, two Bishvat's on a full moon. Two Bob's on a full moon. So we want full moons, okay? We want a full expression. And uh, anyway, but the other reason is because you've got to build a sukkah. you got to get busy with a sukkah, and if someone built a sukkah for you, so... Help somebody else build their sukkah. My sukkah's already built, so all we need help with is basically um, decorating, cooking, and logistics. So if anyone wants to help with any of that stuff, please let me know. Um, also, um, anyone who would like to sponsor some of the meals, feel free. The, uh, the sponsorships are on... Uh, I don't even know where they are. Uh, what's the name of that? No, no. What's the name of that one, the Chesed... What's it called? Chesed? Fun? Chesed Fun? Is it called Chesed Fun? Yeah. Chesed Fun. Anyway, anyone wants to help sponsor those meals, help, help feel free. Yeah. So you're saying, you said that the sukkah is like the, the nursery, but you're saying that the nursery is separate and not in the arms of like the parents. So right. I, that was, yeah, forget that part of the analogy. <laughs> this is the arms. So I was just using that as a Western version of it, but I wound up going on that digression. Yeah. Ignore that part. I wrote yeah, the sukkah is the arms. Yeah, yeah and that's why sukkah is spelled with a samach. It's like a hug. Yeah, yeah sukkah. And it has to have, you know, it has to have three walls at least, you know, which is getting towards the hug. And, and you're, you're, you're going to be hugged in the sukkah by, by God's presence. It's an amazing thing. I mean, think about what is the actual mitzvah of sukkah? What do you have to do? Yeah, nothing. You don't do anything. It's How many mitzvahs where you don't do anything? You actually, your whole mitzvah is to dwell inside the sukkah, to just be in there. And you'll see, by the way, yeah, you want to know a test of holiness? Is you'll, I mean, God willing, you won't see, but you'll see people that have to leave the sukkah. It's the weirdest thing. They have to leave the sukkah. It's a, they think they're leaving. Like, they, oh, i got to go have a smoke. Or maybe I just want to go schmooze a little bit. Or like, yeah, I just like to hang out. But they don't realize that they're actually being spit out. Sukkahs have digestive uh, digestive functions. Just like uh, Israel has a digestive function. Meaning you, it either absorbs you, meaning it either integrates you, or it spits you out. Sukkahs have the same thing. So you'll notice, you'll, feel, you'll be in a sukkah, and you'll just be like... I just want to go outside and hang out with people out there.
Yeah. What? Are out. Yeah, you're out. Yeah. What if it's so overwhelming? You're still in the land of Israel, at least. You get spit out of the sukkah, you're still dwelling in the land. So. What's, what's it's overwhelming? Well, I think a lot of you are overwhelmed. I don't think they're conscious of being overwhelmed. But, but I think that's what's happening is they're overwhelmed. Now, let's get into a little bit of the understanding of this sukkah. Now, you are supposed to eat, drink, sleep, and do every single thing you do inside that sukkah. You don't do anything outside the sukkah. You want to you play music? Do it in the sukkah. You want to play cards? Do it in the sukkah. Yeah? You, uh, you want to schmooze? You're schmoozing with somebody and you're right next to a sukkah? Can we just, like, move this into the sukkah? I get people all the time because they're not sure they're welcome in my sukkah. But we wind up schmoozing a little bit. Now we're just schmoozing. He's like, where are you from? We're playing Jewish geography. And after a while, I'm like, you know, you know the difference between you and me? And they're like, what? I'm doing a Torah commandment and you're not. He's like, what do you mean? And I grab both his arms and I go, like that? Okay, let's continue our conversation. Because we wound up like five minutes where I'm in the sukkah. He's outside the sukkah. I didn't even notice. I just, after a while, I was thinking, why should I get the mitzvah when this guy's like, millimeters away from being inside to like get him in there yeah get him inside the mitzvah and make sure you're inside the mitzvah and do buy mosquito repellent everybody buy mosquito repellent and make sure that bugs don't keep you out of the sukkah because you know it's hard to sleep with those flybys and so you know just get yourself a bug repellent so you're all set and sleep in something long sleeve, obviously. So you're all set with that. Now, regarding women in the sukkah, that's an interesting question. Um, our family's strict about women in the sukkah, but many families are, are lenient about women in the sukkahs. Now, why? What's the difference between women and men when it comes to a sukkah? The answer is basically nothing. We both have the mitzvah, but the difference is, is that men have an absolute obligation, meaning we cannot... Uh, we can't just eat a sandwich somewhere. That's not in a sukkah. Like, you cannot do that. A woman can do that. If she's hungry, she's in the kitchen, she wants to have a little bite, she can go ahead and have a bite inside the kitchen. The man, on the other hand, has to take it. Now, if he's tasting something, you know, he's making a soup and he wants to just make sure it's okay, he doesn't have to, like, take the ladle out of the house and into the sukkah to taste the soup. Little things he can do. And maybe he's just dehydrating his little water. Um, although I'll tell you, the Jerusalemites, like the real, you know, the gold-coated ones with the furry hats, yeah, they would, I mean, I doubt they'd even taste the soup, which is probably a good reason to stay away from the soup. But they, um, <laughs> it's been untasted. Now, the they won't drink even a sip of water outside the sukkah. They're super, super careful. Um, in Jerusalem, back to the Jerusalemites, is the women are careful to always be in the sukkah, and they also sleep in the sukkah, the women sleep in the sukkah. And so the very, very intense, like, Sharim communities, the women are much more serious about sukkah than the rest of the world. The rest of the world are lenient about sukkah because the men are also pretty lenient about sukkah. If you go to New York, you know, and I understand why people are lenient because, you know, sometimes it's pouring rain and, you know, like, the, sea, the Jewish holidays were created for the land of Israel. They weren't created for, for American, yeah? So... The United States of Asia has different inclement weather during Sukkot, and sometimes it rains. And so it's, um, so, by the way, it's rained here too. But if it rains here, this, our sages tell us that it's as if God's spitting on our Sukkot. Yeah. Not supposed to rain. Rain means 
bad news for the Jews. Unless you're Chabad, and then everything's good. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Chabad next will flip everything. Like they just completely, what is called re... Reframe. Reframe. They reframe literally everything <clears throat> into something bad. You know, like, like there's like a car crash, and they're like, oh, must be there's supposed to be scrambled eggs, you know. Maybe there's eggs in the back. So, I guess when they exchange ID, you know, maybe that's a, maybe they're going to get married or something. So, or maybe their children are going to get married or something. So, anyway, the, the sukkah is, yeah, so women are careful to sleep inside the sukkah as well, eat, drink, and do all that stuff. However, they can be lenient for all kinds of things. Now, why is that? Why are women distinguished from men? The answer is, is that, all commandments, all positive commandments that are time-bound, women are exempt from. So time-bound commandments, they could do them, but they're exempt from them. So, and, But they're, we're super strict about some of those. So women, like, good luck finding a woman who's going to miss shofar. It's a time-bound commandment, right? It's only blown in Rosh Hashanah. And it's a, it's a positive, thou shall blow the shofar. But show me one woman who's going to miss that. I mean, they got, they got men blowing shofar throughout hospitals. And stuff, you know, for women who gave birth and women who were ill, you know, like there's chauffeur blasts going through all the wards to make sure all the women heard them. And that's with blessings and everything. Uh, women will shake Lula. We're going to get to Lula in a second. Um, but let's, let's, uh, let's close up the sukkah business. Um, so anyway, women should be very careful to be in sukkah as much as possible, but you don't have to make yourself crazy. Now, once in a while, you'll be in a situation where there's only room for men in the sukkah. <laughs> what do you do then? Meaning there's 12 people at the meal, six couples, and you have uh, a long table, half the table. It's all under the sukkah, except there's a balcony over half the sukkah. Meaning the neighbors upstairs have their sukkah. And it's and you have to have the sky over the thatch. It has to be the sky over the thatch. But you got a balcony over the thatch. Well, guess where all the women are going to be sitting? Over there under the balcony of the other person while the men will be under, under the sky. Why? We already said why. Because the men couldn't eat otherwise and the women could eat. So you're not gonna like for some like, some like, uh, like, you know, highly feminist man who says, you know, I'll just, I'll just break this commandment in honor of letting the women sit inside, you know, the part of the sukkah that's up kosher. No. No, Torah takes precedence over these kind of types of chivalrous moods. Okay, Torah takes precedence over that, and so that'll be the situation sometimes, and it's, it's not a big deal. I've sat inside actually because I was I was dining. We had guests who were from America, and they were on their second day of sukkah, and we only keep one day. So we put the table. Our, we were renting an apartment that only had room for our family. But we realized, since we don't have to be in it, we'll just get our big table. Half of it will be outside, and half will be in our dining room. Because the balcony was off the dining room. So my family sat in the dining room, and they all sat in the sukkah. So it worked perfectly. At the end of the morning? Yeah, our, it was their second day, and our, we were done. Uh, we were in Simchat Toma. Yeah. Why do Israelis only keep one day? Um, that's an excellent question. Not for now. Okay. Yeah, that's complicated. Now... Bigger question is why do Israelis keep two days of Russia show? Complicated. Complicated. They're not going there. Now, 
Why are we going into thatch huts and why is that the hug of God? And so let's back it all up. Ready for this? You're not going to believe how this is going to go. Remember earlier I was talking about how we all create stories around our dysfunction. You know, that, that dysfunction with reasons we call functional. <laughs> we think we're functional as long as we can, you know, tell the story to a therapist of why things are the way they are. Somehow we're functional. But dysfunction with reasons is functional. Now, what does that mean, someone who has reasons? So another way of saying someone who has reasons is someone, listen carefully, who's made meaning around all kinds of circumstances. He's made meaning around all kinds of circumstances. I'm using the word meaning now. Around all kinds of circumstances such that everything makes sense. Like as long as I can make everything mean the, what it means, so then somehow life makes sense. Did that, did that mean anything to you guys? If I can create meaning around, if I can create meaning around, here's something dysfunctional. Um, I, for many years, left the door of my house unlocked. At night, overnight. For many years, I left the door of the house unlocked. Now, why would I do something that, does that sound functional or dysfunctional? It's dysfunctional. Supposed to, man's supposed to protect his family. Now, it just so happens we live in a city that doesn't have those kind of domestic stuff going on, but nevertheless, it's got a lock. Use it. We have yeah. friends that need a couch. We have friends that need a couch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I would leave the house unlocked, and I had my reasons why I did that. I had my reasons why I did that, and the reason why I did that was to show the world, show my wife, show me, show the kids, how safe Jerusalem is. <laughs> Look how safe Jerusalem is. And they're like, that's nice. Why don't we just see how safe it is with the door locked every night? Like, do we have to have a, our own personal example every single morning when we unlock, when we open the door and see it was never locked? Do we need that? And I realized, oh my gosh, this is coming from some crazy thing that that what happened, what basically happened was, you know, stuff about my upbringing became you know, meant certain things to me. And back, I'm using the word meaning a lot now. Certain things meant things to me. And by showing, and this is where my whole daredevil surfer stuff is, by showing that we're saved, even in 25-foot waves, a mile out in the ocean, if I can show we're safe there, then maybe we're safe. And if I can keep the doors unlocked, maybe we're safe. And maybe that, maybe i got to prove we're safe. So anyway, does this sound like functional stuff or a bunch of crazy meaning-making? Which one? Everyone together? Crazy meaning-making. Well, guess what? You've been, your biggest protector is God. He's been protecting you all the years of your life. But you've been making crazy meaning making and so busy protecting yourself. I bet you a lot of you even wondered how you're going to make it, like financially, like how are you going to survive your life? Like what are you going to do? How are you going to make it, man? How are you going to eat? How are you going to afford a house and a car and a mortgage? And how are you going to do all that? Rich, have you ever worried about that? Be honest. Anyone ever worried about that? Okay, keep your hands up if God ever left you hanging. Has God ever left you hungry? Have you ever gone a few days without food? Have you ever been without shelter? Have you ever been homeless? So yeah, you all slowly put your hands down, but you're lying. God has been batting a thousand with you, but you treat him as if he's going to drop you tomorrow. You have been totally incongruent with the reality of God taking care of you. And the fact that you'd even lose a second sleep over God protecting you is a joke. Because he's been protecting you all this time. And the only times you've ever been what you call not protected is exactly what's turned you into the teacher that you are. 
so that you can help people. Because we don't need anyone's help who's talking theory. We need the help of people who've been through stuff. And God creates teachers, and he helps us through our incarnation. You live many lives. And the stuff, the, some of the scrap without the S that you had to go through was was part of a, a, what's called in Hebrew a tikkun. It's a, it's a spiritual, spiritual rectification that happens through lifetimes. God's never left you hanging. And the, last night when we finish Yom Kippur, we get to the point where we're saying, God, you are my source of security, my source of sustenance. You are everything. There's nothing but you. Then you're going to go back to your house with the lock on the door and the reinforced cement and the alarm system and the, and the, uh, and the, uh, what do you call those cameras? The, the security cameras and the, you understand? And you got that picture there and that wall's painted like that and that curtain like that and that, that, you know, the, the staircase was, you know, that kind of mahogany wood on the bed, meaning it's a giant crawling, oozing locust of meaning making. Your home is packed with meaning making. So your home, where you're dwelling all the year, is like packed with all the stories you tell and these stories that you're trying to tell the world about you. And if people can come over and, isn't it fun to show people your house so they can like get to know you from like how you chose what you chose and stuff. And Sukkis is like, no, that's a joke. Okay? No, and by the way, our home is also totally customized. Totally customized. And it should be. Your home should be customized to you. It's great. But we, right now we're like babies. We just finished Yom Kippur. We're in God's arms right now. And all the stories we've been telling ourselves and that we're trying to tell the world don't count right now. What counts is to go dwell in a thatch hut that couldn't even stand up to like, like even a fairly strong wind would knock the thing down. A little bit of rain, everyone's running for their lives out of that place. You know, they, and we had one year where sukkahs to smithereens. Like, there was nothing left. No sukkah was sta- left standing. Ice, hail, like, thunder, lightning, and, like, crazy. More than once during the week, meaning it was everyone rebuilt. And Shabbos, where you couldn't even rebuild again, it was, uh, everything was taken down again with a major storm. Totally out of season. That's a storm from, like, February. Where everyone's sukkahs were destroyed. We are putting ourselves in ultimate vulnerability. Yeah, it's hard to sleep in that sukkah. I'll end with a story. Sleeping in my sukkah the first night of sukkahs one year. Everyone's laying down, all my family, my, my wife's asleep. Now my kids are all asleep. I'm looking at the kids. I said, that kid's asleep because I'm here. <laughs> that kid's asleep because I'm in here. You know, they're all asleep because their father's in there protecting them. You know, that kid's sound asleep and that kid's sound asleep and that kid's sound asleep. Finally get to my wife. She's just like... She's not as if I'm in there. You ain't going in there until I'm in there. And I'm like, what about me? I want to sleep. I couldn't sleep. But after about an hour of staring at the schach, at the thatch, I finally got the point of sukkahs. God's in there. God's watching over me. And I fell asleep. everybody. May you have amazing sukkahs experiences. Uh, by the way, oh, just real quick announcement. This rabbi in the back, this rabbi in the back, he brings food. Wave your hand, rabbi. He brings food to a family every Shabbat from this class. So if you'll feel better on Shabbat knowing, and it's also going right into Sukkot. If you want to give a little extra, because Sukkot, the first night of Yom Tov is Sunday night. This rabbi, if it folds, it'll buy fish or meat. If it jingles, it'll buy Pringles, okay?
but they need Pringles and they need drinks and stuff. So please uh, dig deep. You'll feel good on Shabbos and Yom You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.